All right, if you guys are writing, you can continue to write until you're done. So, reckless, if you, if you do not know who I am, I'm Todd Hampton, I'm a high school pastor, so check out this face, you got to deal with me every single week, so have fun, it's going to be awesome. Hey, so welcome, in, and uh, we're glad that you guys are in the room. Tonight, we're excited because we're beginning our first series of the year, and the first series is called Be the Church. So this is a, there's a reason why we're starting the year with this series, um, because this is a really significant conversation, a really significant series. Some of the things we're going to talk about over the next six weeks between now and fall break is what I believe is going to be incredibly important for you, incredibly important even for us as reckless as a whole to be able to understand some really important things. And so I want to kind of start as we begin. If you want to take notes, you can take notes. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to kind of bounce around to a couple of different passages. But I want to start with kind of a, a pretty bold statement, all right? And you may disagree with the statement, which is totally fine, or you may be like, man, I'm, I'm 100% in with you. But here's kind of this bold statement that I want to start with, all right? You and I have been invited into the greatest movement ever created called the church, all right, let me say that again. You and I have been invited into the greatest movement ever created, the church. Now, again, you may be like, I'm not sure I believe that. Or you may be like, absolutely, 100%, I believe that. And, um, and regardless of where you're at, our, my hope and, and desire and prayer is that over the course of this series, maybe wherever you're at now, you're going to start believing that statement as we go through this series where maybe whatever your idea or viewpoint about the church is, you're indifferent, you're like, I'm not really sure, I'm searching, I'm figuring it out, um, that you're going to come to a place where you're going to be like, man, I, I believe that statement. I believe that that's true. And so that's our desire. Now, one of the things that's true of all of us is we all want to belong to something, right? How many of you guys, you, you want to belong to something? You want to find significance in the things that you're a part of? How many, just raise your hand, be honest. Some of you guys just aren't going to, you're not going to give feedback for anything that we do tonight, all right? You're just going to sit there, and that's fine. So I think that's true of each of us. Like, we want to belong to something, something that matters, something that has significance, something that we believe is going to impact the world around us in a positive way. Now, sometimes we can join something, and it's in, as incredible as we think it's going to be, as we expect or hope it's going to be, Right? For example, my wife and I, Angie, and I just celebrated 22 years of marriage on Friday. Come on. And that's really more, more clapping for her to deal with me for 22 years. Um, so she was, I was 22 when we got married. She was 21. You can do the math. We're old. Uh, or I am. And, um, and so we just celebrated 22 years. And I think back to like when we first got married and we believed that like, we wanted a great marriage. We believed that marriage was going to be amazing, right? I mean, otherwise, like, who gets married and expects it's going to be a dumpster fire? Like, everybody gets married and is like, man, this is going to be amazing. And they have hope and expectations. And so for us, we both wanted that, right? We were committed to that, but we also were young, and we really had no idea what the heck we were doing. We knew we were committed to each other, and we knew we loved each other, and we understood, like, why marriage existed, and so we were committed to that, but there was a lot of other stuff we just didn't know. 
And we didn't go through premarital counseling, and I, I wish we had. But like over the first few years, like that was like us just learning. Like, oh, okay, that like this is what this looks like. I didn't think that that was gonna. Oh, we didn't think through that. Or man, now that means that we've got to adjust our lives in this way. Like there were so many different things that we just weren't prepared for. But I can say, like after 22 years, like by God's grace, it's been more incredible than I think either one of us could have hoped. Like I'm more in love with her today than I was when we got married at 22 and 21. It's just incredible that we have expected that it was going to be amazing and we've seen that play out. But sometimes we can be involved in things and and have great expectations on the front end and then it fails to do what we think it's going to do. So for example, I was, when I was in ninth grade, I, was, I went and tried out for the basketball team. All right, now basketball, like I was passionate about basketball, like that was one of the sports I loved. It was either basketball or baseball, depending on what season I was in as like my favorite sport. And so I'd played since I was four or five and it was a passion. And so when I came into high school in my ninth grade year, I'm like, I'm trying out for this team and I'm gonna make it. And we were the bees, which is terrible. It's like the Hornet, you got the Hiram Hornets, right? Go Hornets. Um, the bees is like even... That's just weak. But that was our name. And so I was like, man, I want to make the, the, the team. And so tryouts came, and I busted my butt, and I tried out, and I did all right. But like the tri- at the end of the tryouts, I had no idea. Am I going to make this team or not? And so it came down to it, and like on the last day, they posted the, the final roster, and I made the team. There was like four of us freshmen that we didn't have a freshman team. It was like just JV and varsity. And so we ended up making the JV team. And I'm all, I'm all stoked. I'm like, man, this is going to be an amazing season. I'm going to get a chance to play for my school and all this kind of stuff. And then the season happened. And I rode the bench all season. Like I was the, there's, there were 12 guys on the team and I was the 12th guy. All right. Like I didn't play at all. I think I played probably 10 minutes my entire freshman season. There was one game in particular that there was, it was a blowout. We were up by like 20, 20 points. It was the very end of the game. There was a timeout on the court. There were six seconds left in the game. And the coach looks at the bench. He goes, Hampton, you're in. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? What am I going to do in six seconds? Why are you even putting me out on the court? Like it was humiliating. And that whole season, my freshman season of basketball was like that. It did not measure up to all of these great expectations that I had going into it. See, when it, think, when it comes to things that we can be a part of, how great it actually is depends really on each person's experience. The star player, man, that season is incredible, especially if you win. But man, if you're the 12th man or woman or you, are, you hate your coach, I mean, that season can be miserable. And see, when it comes to the church, what I believe, one of the things I believe about the church is it was designed to be so incredible and so full of purpose that no matter who you are, no matter what your expectation is on the front end, that you, all of us collectively, will have such a shared experience that we come to find out that the church is the greatest movement ever. Not just some of us, not a piece of us, not, not a handful but where we have such the experience, we un- we're caught up in the beauty and the incredible thing that this thing was created to be. That all of us collectively are looking and going, can you believe that we get a chance to be a part of this? 
Like we're a part of something that's making an impact on the world around us. We're a part of something that's bigger than us. We're a part of us that's giving us purpose and meaning and we're seeing God move in a powerful way and it does for us what so many other things in our lives fail to do. Like that's what I believe about the church. Now the sad thing is, is that that's not the perception for a lot of people in today's culture. And that would be especially true for your generation. Now, we were going to like do something. We were going to play a game of Kahoot. It was going to be incredible. You guys are going to be texting on your phones and like, you know, doing all the things. And then we couldn't get it to work. And so we'll do that next week. So instead, I'm going to give you some stats that kind of back up what, like, why this is such a big deal. Why there's such a disconnect between your generation and the value and the purpose and the meaning of the church. Okay? So, Here's a couple stats for you. So you guys may know some of these. Some of these I've mentioned over the last couple years. Gen Z, your generation is the least Christian generation in American history. All right, now you take that whatever you want, religion, Christian, whatever, but you guys see Christianity or religion as a whole as like the least valuable to your life. You care the least about it than any other generation before you in American history. 35% of Gen Z identify either as atheists, meaning they don't believe in God at all, or they're agnostic, whereas they're like, I don't know if there's a God or not, but I don't really care. Not really interested to know or to find out. So 35% of your generation identifies that way. Only 4% of Gen Z has a biblical worldview, meaning the Bible guides your understanding, the way that you see the world and your understanding of decisions that you make and all of that kind of stuff. Only 4%. 13% of Gen Z say that they attend church weekly. All right, so you think about what that looks like for you. If you're, if you're here every week at Reckless, or you come on Sunday morning, or some variation of that, like you're a part of a small minority of your generation. Only 13% attends on a weekly basis. There are more teens today that are uh, less trusting of the church. You're trusting banks medical systems, school systems more than you trust organized religion. Um, Your generation also struggles with the church's stance on different issues like the LGBTQ, things like refugees, global warming, like all those different kind of things. So if what the church's stance or the biblical stance, there's more disagreement or pushback or whatever from your generation about some of those stances. There's only 8%. Now think about this. If you are involved and connected into a small group, if you look to your right or to your left or in a general vicinity and your small group leader is sitting with you, then check this out. Only 8% of today's teenagers say they have a religious leader that they can turn to. 8%. So if you want to know why does it matter that you show up week in and week out, that, if that doesn't say the importance of it, Only 8% of your generation has another adult that they can go to for spiritual wisdom, for guidance, for truth, for for understanding, and and those kind of things. Now, those stats are sobering. And when you look at it, the reality is your generation is believing less and less that the church is the greatest movement ever. You're more apt to look to a politician, to a celebrity, to a social media influencer, even yourself, if you're looking for something to believe in rather than the church. And so for all of those reasons right there, that is why it's so critical over the next six weeks 
for us to look at the church from every angle possible, to be able to to look at it, evaluate it and say, if this is really meant to be the greatest movement ever, why is that? And how can that be our shared experience together to where we're caught up into something that's much greater than ourselves? All right, so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. Now, I want to I start by just kind of giving you a statement. If you want to write this down, you can. Um, and here it is. We have been invited into this movement, and we are an important part of it, but we are not the main focus. Now, that may be a turnoff for some of you guys who think that you're the main focus for everything. You're not the main focus for the church. All right, you're in, all of us are invited into this. All right, if you are a non-believer, like you're not even, maybe you're agnostic, maybe you're atheist, maybe you're sitting in the room tonight and you're searching, you don't really know what you believe. Maybe you're kind of evaluating Christianity and this whole Jesus thing and you're trying to figure out and you're on the outside looking in. You have been invited into something. If you're a believer in the room, you have been invited in, you've been made a part of something. And you have an important part to play. Every single one of us has a part to play, a role to play in this. But none of us are the main focus of it. And if we don't get what we're going to talk about tonight as kind of the foundation, then everything else we're going to talk about, we're going to miss. It's not, going to, it's not really going to make the impact that we, that we want it to have. So we've got to start with the foundation. And so in order to do that, we're going to bounce around a couple different passages. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And you guys, maybe in, in a lot of ways, may be familiar with this. So he's talking to the disciples and he's like, hey, who do people say that I am? And they're like, I mean, Jesus, like they say that some say you're Moses, some say you're Elijah, great prophet, a teacher. And he goes, okay, but who do you say that I am? And then in Matthew 16, verse 16, it says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And so now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now Jesus, in this particular passage, he's establishing a couple of things here. All right, the first thing he's establishing, he uses the word church. Or in the Greek, he uses the word ekklesia. And this, you got to understand, we don't find this word in the Bible, in the Greek language, until this moment. Now, there are other words that are used in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, you know, temple and tabernacle, like gathering, assembly, like all these other kind of things that are used for it. But Jesus here in this moment is giving a new term. He's calling it something different. And this word church, it means an assembly or it means a gathering of people for a purpose. So Jesus is establishing this new term called the church. And he's saying a couple important things. He says, number one, it's my church. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. It's not your church. It's not anybody else's church. This church belongs to me. I'm establishing it. I'm creating it. I'm giving it a new name. And it's my church. And then he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. What Jesus is saying in this moment is it's going to be built on him. 
that he is the rock. He's the foundation. You're not talking about Peter in this moment. He's talking about himself. Hey, upon this rock, me, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell or the powers of hell won't even be able to stand against it. Now understand, as Jesus makes this statement, this new thing that he's going to create, that it's his, that, that it belongs to, that it's going to be built on him, this is a part of the plan since the very beginning. That Jesus would come to save the world from our sins so that every person could fulfill the purpose that they were created for since the beginning, to know God and to walk with him. That that's your purpose, that's my purpose, that we were created divinely for a, an incredible purpose by the creator of the universe, by Jesus himself, to know him and to walk with him. And so that's why in this moment he honors Peter because Peter gets it. He's like, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that's right. That's the purpose that I've come for. That's the reason why I'm here. And so Peter, you've got it. And while I'm here, here's what I'm coming to do. I'm coming to free the world, to save the world from their sins, but I'm coming to create a movement. I'm creating, I'm coming to build something, something that belongs to me and something that I'm the foundation of. Now, if you look at another passage in, in the book of 1 Peter, later in the New Testament, this same apostle Peter who's in this moment who gets it, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that, that Jesus now encourages and affirms in that moment. In 1 Peter 2, 4 through 7, Peter himself, here's what he says. He says, you, talking about the church, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, talking about all of us, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, he's going back to the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah that was foretold about what Jesus was coming to do. I, and this is God talking. I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, that stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Now, let's unpack this for just a minute because there's some maybe confusing stuff in these verses. What Jesus, what, what Peter is saying in this moment and what we've got to understand is that Jesus is the cornerstone. All right, Jesus is the cornerstone. And you're like, what the crap is a cornerstone? Right? If you don't know what a cornerstone it is, it is a, it's a construction term. It's a, a stone that was used at the corner of a building, cornerstone. And it, in so many ways, was a foundational piece of a building. So you think of important buildings like the White House or like other buildings in society, like these buildings have cornerstones. And it's a marker similar to this that is a, a stone or a foundational piece that in, in so many ways like kind of holds the, the building together. It's a, it's a marker, an, identif an identification for that building. 
So that's what it specifically means, what a cornerstone means in a construction term. But generally speaking, if somebody's like, hey, that's the cornerstone, what that really means is it's a feature that things depend on or need to survive.